The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Dude, I registered for Wente. That is excellent. It is. Uh, you You better start riding your darn bike. Uh, so beginneth the work. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I have, you know, I did this last year. I registered for both Boggs and Wente, and... Things got sideway enough that Boggs just flat out didn't happen. And Wente, I showed, but I didn't show, if you, mm. you know, so to speak. Um, yeah. Uh, but this year is, this year is going to be different. All right. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, I have some base miles to bank myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um I'll in my in my pick today I'll be discussing uh some of that. But yeah, it's uh there's water coming out of the sky. It it not it uh it doesn't so much feel like rain as just like water coming out of the sky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I read somewhere that there's enough water coming out of the sky to cover California up to some not acceptable depth. Yeah. Uh, every low lying spot in Sonoma County, uh, people are stand up paddle boarding and kayaking on. Mm. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Mm. Yeah. You can see. <laughs> you'll drive by a field and you'll see a whole bunch of cars parked on the side of the road <laughs> and then people out in what would otherwise be a field. Yes. <laughs> Coincidence or climate change? You decide. Or, I don't know, ask someone who knows. I, I think it's been decided for us. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, um, but yeah, riding in the rain lots and uh, making my peace with that good it's good it's never too late to build that character i i think actually no it is in my case uh <laughs> i mean that's not to say i'm not a character yeah I, I just don't have a lot of it at this point i used up most of my character uh when i was pretending to be a racer boy ah yeah well, i must have lots left over since i never even pretended uh, shall we jump to it? Yes, yes, yes. All right. Well, <clears throat> it's this time of year, the off season, so to speak. Mm. And I've been thinking about what that means for me. Mm -hmm. um, certainly on one level, I'm trying to keep going, mm -hmm. uh, even if not quite as hard as I might any other time of year. On the other hand, 
it's important to let the field lay fallow to a degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm just I'm just thinking about the ways I chill out while not letting go of the thread of cycling altogether. Uh huh. Yep. Um. So what I'm what I'm about to say is slightly circuitous, but that's how my thinking is sometimes. Uh, so bear with me here. I was actually reading an old post of yours <clears throat> from the Red Kite Prayer days. Okay. Uh, called Anachronistic. You probably huh. don't even remember writing it. I, I can't place it, honestly. <laughs> maybe I mean, maybe I'll rerun it but tomorrow. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, maybe mm-hmm. I'll rerun it tomorrow to go along with this podcast. I'll let you, I'll let you give it a, a perusal first. But anyway, uh, it was about our sort of outmoded ideas about bikes and cycling. You were making the point specifically that Italian bikes no longer handle the way people remember them handling in the golden age of Italian bike building. Oh, yeah, totally remember that post now. Yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The larger point was that we both hold on to old ideas and also that we revise our stories about our own experiences. <laughs> yeah. In, mm-hmm. in both of those in ways that aren't always helpful. And as a, as the opening example you gave uh, was the blood doping era. Mm-hmm. When you talk to people now about Lance Armstrong, U.S. Postal, et cetera, et cetera, they will often say they never liked Lance they never liked that whole thing. They always knew it was a fraud, etc. blah, blah. In reality, a lot of us, especially on this side of the Atlantic, found that whole episode thrilling and inspiring. Yellow rubber bands on wrists, man. Yeah. Uh, and in large part, that whole episode brought droves of us into the sport in a meaningful way. Yeah. You know, not just people out pedaling bikes, but people out pedaling bikes and also interested in the history of pedaling bikes Mm -hmm. for the first time. Mm -hmm. You know, people became experts on the Tour de France who had only just barely heard of it previously. (laughs) Um, And here's where I circle back to my initial idea about how I take my foot off the pedal this time of year. And one of the unfortunate consequences of that period in cycling history, I used to read cycling history voraciously. Uh I was always on the lookout for a new book. Uh, And the more arcane, the better. (laughs) That's my friend. Uh, Yes. I've read a lot of cycling books. But that interest really waned dramatically after the blood doping era. It's like getting I think I didn't watch Lost, but I imagine it was like all those people that that watched the series Lost uh-huh. obsessively only to find out that whole episodes that they thought were plot relevant had been dream sequences. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like the, uh, for yeah, me the yeah. the story of cycling sort of fell apart. I- it became a whole pile of red herring. Yeah. Yeah. It just you like, OK, I don't know who the good guys are in the story. I don't know who the bad guys are in the story. Are they all bad guys? I tend not to like stories that only have bad guys in them. Um, I at least need an antihero. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Uh, anyway, I suppose this is what's called jumping the shark. <laughs> pro cycling jumped the shark and for those unaware oh, yeah. of the source of that expression it comes from the hit tv show happy days 
which was wildly popular for a number of years. But eventually the writers ran out of ideas and ended up producing an episode in which the lead character, the Fonz, Mm -hmm. uh, jumps a shark in a tank, I believe. Yes. On his motorcycle, Mm -hmm. uh, which is stupid. And I actually watched that episode because my sister was in love with that show. Ah, yes. Yeah. And di- and was it edifying? Did it- <laughs> Were you it, like, oh, this has really moved the plot forward now? Uh, no, I felt like I'd lost a half hour of my life that I wasn't going to get back. Right. So that episode is widely credited with ending Happy Days. Even uh, though it went on a bit. <laughs> yeah. Even though it went on a bit longer. Yeah. And it's become shorthand for when a thing, anything, has reached its sell-by date. So, as listeners might imagine, I'm a reader. The stack of books next to my bed is tall, and no matter how many I finish, I'm always adding more. But there are no cycling books in the pile anymore. Mm. And that makes me a little sad. Uh Uh, I might just have a case of seasonal affective disorder, which uh, I wrote about this week for the website. But anyway, I didn't realize I had been missing cycling books until I reread your post and now I'm finding myself resolved here in the off-season to borry, borrow my way back into the genre mm-hmm. and try to kind of reconnect with what used to be, for me, a pretty rich vein of motivation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Has, has, your, has your experience been similar? Uh, are you still reading cycling books? Um, I've got uh, Being Gary Fisher in my emotional support book pile, uh, very near my bed. Uh, yes. one, I, I should clarify and say one of my emotional support book piles. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a wreck over there near my bed. Um, and there might be a couple of others in there. Uh, yes. Uh, Greg Lamont's the comeback is there. Um, <clears throat> that was, that was really good. And that was, uh, Pretty easy to digest because I think I know most of the moving parts of that story. Um, My my impression of the depth of doping uh, at that time has one chink in its armor uh, that I'm I'm not going to go into and discuss here. Um, But mostly I feel like I understand what was going on in that time and I can still enjoy it um but to your larger point about you know books that concern racing and uh uh those people that we used to admire (sighs) pro cycling has all but ceased to exist for me um it is just so morally compromised and it's so impossible to have uh an open conversation with any of the players um it's yeah it's i don't i don't even know what to say about pro cycling anymore well i let's let's maybe peel let's pick this apart a little bit mm-hmm. uh pro road racing yeah is comp to me is compromised in this way yeah. i've been watching more of it in the last year but i'm 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 not emotionally invested in it. I enjoy watching it on some level, but there's no particular rider or team that I really want to invest 
in Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, you suspect at any moment they'll disappoint you, Um, which is really a problem. uh, It's we blame them, but it's it's our problem for like needing to invest in these people. Um, (laughs) One thing I've been enjoying a lot is the development of very high level gravel racing in unexpected and super interesting places. So Mm -hmm. we ran a video last week uh, about the migration gravel race Mm -hmm. in Kenya, which looks just unbelievably cool. The vibe of it seems good. Like the riders, you know, they're competing, but they're friendly. It's just got a whole different thing. We'll have a video up this week about the Badlands race in Southern Spain. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, which is like a continuous 750 kilometer, uh, geez, I don't even know what to call it. You have to watch this video. It is beautiful. Uh, it looks brutal. Um, and so I really, I think there's maybe the tendrils of an emerging replacement for pro racing or pro road racing for me, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure it'll be ruined eventually because that's what humanity does. Um, but right now I'm finding it really interesting and I wish there were better ways to watch it than in kind of digested, edited videos after, although I do really enjoy those. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then I watched some top level cyclocross also, um, which is just cool. I don't even care who the characters are that much. Although there do seem to be some very cool characters in the sport currently. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, that's the, that's the interesting thing about watching, especially European cyclocross. Um, I don't, I don't make the effort to go find those races on YouTube or wherever. And every now and then I chastise myself for that because when I do sit down and watch even, you know, like a highlights reel from one of those races, uh, I get to the end and, you know, I'm sitting in a chair and my heart rate's 145. <laughs> uh, and, you know, what's so great about those is you don't need any backstory. There's no backstory that's necessarily going to make it all that interesting unless you've got like mortal enmity between the top two guys who are bumping elbows. Yeah, yeah. I think cyclocross, European cyclocross specifically, is very NASCAR. It's like NASCAR with a much more interesting course. Uh, There are spills and thrills, uh, crashes. Um, It's both like, it both highlights the rider's strength, stamina, and power, but also their bike handling skills in a way that is super cool. So it mixes all of those things together. Their strategy... You know, in a way, I think uh, European cyclocross is the perfect cycling media product. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, because you it, never it have to a, watch the paint dry on the walls. That's right. It It is a short duration. It's a closed course where all the little nooks and crannies of it can be shown uh, there are enough spectators around to give you like a, a the crowd feel. Ambi- yeah, the feel. Um, I, I gosh, I, I I don't know why more people don't love it. Uh, fair fair question. Yeah, 
Yeah, fair question. Because anytime I watch Eurocross, I mean, one of the other things is you get a finer sense of speed in watching cyclocross than I think you do in any other form of cycling. Because anyone who has ever ridden a bicycle, you know, on a stretch of mud knows exactly how fast a bicycle moves on a stretch of mud. And then you see a guy on 32 millimeter wide tires go ripping through there at like 18 miles an hour. And, you know, it's, it's uh, it, the the incredibility of that does not get lost. It you know somehow it does trans at least for me, you know uh, it, it does translate in, in that visual medium. Uh, also, there's the simple fact that yeah, there's no other form of bike racing that tests a rider's handling skills the way cyclocross does. Because they're on courses that, let's be honest, they would be difficult to ride on our full suspension mountain bikes with 2.6 inch wide tires. Yep. And they're going through there on butter knives. They are. It's it is amazing. This is all I, I just I want to because I feel like my poll this week was a little bit in, incoherent. I think <laughs> the, now well, that we've talked, arriving at some sort of conclusion, watch cyclocross. Yeah, now. Yeah, now that we've talked around and around it, I think what I'm really talking about is there are all of these other ways to plug into the sport that aren't pedaling. Mm -hmm. And I need I I used to thrive on those, you know? Yeah, Mm -hmm. there's Mm -hmm. a certain um, niche that YouTube videos fills, and that could be cyclocross racing or these gravel uh, videos that I've been uh, posting and watching um, and part of it is, you know, for me is books, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I'm a book guy. Um, but I'm just, I think this time of year when it's time to lay low, uh, you're not going out for rides that are as long as you normally would like stoking the fire with these other things is important to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's funny because I don't think either you or I are at risk of the sorts of mistakes that we made when we were younger. Um, I don't know if your friends ever talked about it, but a a common refrain in all of the cycling communities I moved through, but most especially when I was in Northampton and riding with UMass was the notion of the winter champion. The Mm. person who would get to November or December or January, kind of depending on just where you were and started putting in 300 mile weeks, you know, 18 hour Mm. weeks, Uh, Mm -hmm. and they were going to kick butt next year. Uh, (laughs) and what would end up happening was, you know, they would like win or place in the first race of the season. And by May they were completely burnt out. Yeah. Uh, and I don't, I never quite made that mistake. I came close on a couple of occasions, uh, you know, there there was more than one fallow May, but I came back around. Um, but yeah, I uh, where we draw that inspiration from uh, does matter, um, and drawing inspiration matters. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I've been thinking about how I need a little more of that in my life as well because most of my reading of late has been all about the craft of writing fiction. 
Yeah, I, I have been reading a t- I think, you know, I was wondering about this too because I've been reading a lot of nonfiction. I've been reading a lot of physics and other science things. And I, 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 I wonder if that's a, a reaction to like, I just need to, I just need to delve into something that's based in reality, um, <laughs> reality and research, et cetera. But it's still somewhat fantastical, at least to my my um, uh, what's the word prosaic existence. Yeah, the the thing that cracks me up about my interest in writing fiction is that you know you're creating something that is not absolutely factually true, but the entire time you're working towards some notion of truth, which is precisely the opposite of what I felt pro cycling was working at for so many years. Um. Well, I don't know. And let me just throw this out there and then we should veer back away from writing nerd stuff because that's <laughs> not what people tune in for. But I think fiction writing to a degree is about creating a plausible lie mm-hmm. because it, it it's fiction. Yeah. You've made it up yeah. uh, in at least in some part. And what you're trying to do is have it ring true enough that people it moves people. So it's like the most, a really good piece of fiction is a very plausible lie. And I think in the blood doping era, that's exactly what, um, that's exactly what, uh, Lance and his crew, uh, and, uh, were trying to do. They were trying to craft the most plausible lies they could. You're not wrong, but I'll say that my urge in writing fiction is to say something true about people, about humanity, about human nature, that you can't just go out and find, you know, a a lived situation that illustrates that issue. I've actually been working on a short story about a guy who encounters doping at three different points in his life, and each time he has a different answer. Mm. You know, so you, you can't find a pro cyclist who encountered doping at 18 and at 28 and at 38. Mm. And so, yeah, yeah. I want to say something that's really true about what it is to be a human being. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to do that in my nonfiction also. Uh, sure. With mixed results, but <laughs> that's a whole nother discussion no one wants to hear yes we're gonna take a break uh we're gonna give our listeners a break and then we'll be back in a second the cycling independent which produces the pace line is undertaking our first ever subscriber drive the three of us who founded the cycling independent did not set out on this adventure to do subscriber drives but as it turns out this is the only way for any of us to be able to eat food or retain shelter So here we are asking you to subscribe. Here's why it's worth your while. Number one, we put out good stuff. Features, essays, reviews, podcasts, etc. We make it all ourselves and we'll make more every day. Two, each of us has a track record of quality work and honesty. You can count on us to do our part when you do yours. Three, our main goal is to grow an independent community of cyclists. People who are dedicated to riding as much as possible and also getting as many other people as possible on a bike for the better of our own lives, our families, our towns, and even our planet. Four, 
more subscribers means we can bring more voices, more diverse voices and better content to this little game of ours. They say a marketing effort shouldn't use negative words, that you should avoid words like don't and shouldn't and won't. But what we don't do is also part of our value to you. Number one, we don't plant cookies on your machine and then use them to serve you targeted ads from paying third parties. Two, we don't fling advertising at you every time you click on a story or link. Three, we don't accept money from companies trying to get positive press. And so when we recommend something, we do it freely and based on our real world experience. Four, we are not a monolithic publishing company channeling eyeballs into campaigns unrelated to cycling or channeling dollars into politics or other causes, not bike specific, that might not jibe with your views. We are about the bike and riding and bringing people together. End of story. So this is it. We aim to add 300 subscribers in the month of March. 300 new contributors to the project. Join us. It will be worth it. We promise. Okay, we're back with The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. What's your poll this week? I'm going to talk about the happiest place on Earth. No, I'm not talking about <laughs> Disneyland or Disney World. I'm talking about the bicycle. Duh. Uh, so the Washington Post recently published a story on data released by the Federal Bureau of Labor uh, and statistics. Um, that's what the FBLA. Uh, the story was looking at what the happiest jobs slash professions are. Each career category, uh, they were all very broad, included three measures, happiness, meaning and stress, which I think is a good way to break them down. Um, to score well, a job had to provide lots of happiness and meaning and, of course, as little stress as possible. But they also dug into what people did away from work. And that's where this got really curious to me. They looked at activities like going to church, playing sports and caring for others. And they scored those with the same three criteria, happiness, meaning and stress. Next, they looked at places. Uh, now, this may seem like the oddest measure of all. Uh, what place are you happy in? Uh, but they were considering churches, being outdoors, the homes of friends, restaurants, even banks uh, and places like that. But somehow they also captured something that can't have a fixed address, the bicycle. Again, they looked at happiness, meaning and stress. The bicycle came in fifth among the happiest places on Earth. The top four were places of worship, church, you know, uh, the outdoors, someone else's home. I found that very curious. <laughs> <laughs> and then a restaurant or bar. I guess with someone else's home, you don't have to clean up anything. <laughs> that could be it. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, and then restaurant or bar. Uh, and that's really no great surprise. But the bike ranked higher than being in a car as a passenger uh, going to a health club or gym, it ranked higher than stores or going to the mall. It ranked higher than walking. I love that. Uh, it also uh, scored higher than being at home, whether like inside and watching TV or outside gardening in your yard. 
um, it ranked higher than you driving yourself, which captures all the, you know, gasoline uh, enthusiasts. Uh, it was better than the grocery store. <clears throat> Duh. Uh, also better than subways or trains. Uh, Ibid. Yeah. <laughs> better than school. Ibid. Uh, a bus. Uh, workplace. And yes, the bank. I'm surprised that they even bothered to say, you know, how, uh, who, who asked somebody, how happy are you at the bank? <laughs> that's, that's a notion that never even occurred to me. I go to the bank cause I need to, you know, sure. I, I don't, I don't think, man, I'm feeling kind of down. I'm going to go to the bank. Yeah. I suppose there's a differential for whether you're carrying money into the bank or carrying money out <laughs> and whether you're running or not. <laughs> Okay, well, there, there we go. See, that's why you listen to this show, folks. Uh, you learn <laughs> things every day, uh, or at least once a week. Um, so they scored each dimension on a six-point scale. Church scored a 5.2 on happiness, 5.5 on meaning, and 0.7 on stress. The outdoors got a 5.0 on happiness. How it scored lower than church, I just don't understand. 4.9 on meaning and 1.0 on stress, Uh, which, okay, sure. I I imagine being in the outdoors is more stressful than being at church, uh, if you got a clear conscience. (laughs) (laughs) I don't. Go on. (laughs) But please continue. Uh, The bike scored 4.8 on happiness, 4.2 on meaning, and 0.8 on stress, which is weirdly less stress than the outdoors scored. Um, That the bike scored better than being in a store or mall or a health club or a car does not surprise me. Uh, which may be why I'm a cyclist. Uh, but there are lots of people who aren't cyclists and love, say, being at home, either inside watching TV or outside gardening. The bike scored better than those. Uh, and it scored better than gyms or health clubs. Take that, CrossFit. Uh, <laughs> now, I expect that most of our listeners are either nodding their heads or shaking them going, well, duh. And that's understandable. For me, I see something profound, though, uh, and this is my nature to really dig into the implications of something. This is a survey that finally captured just how good cycling is. Cycling always scores well in surveys of outdoor pursuits, uh, but in the wide world of what people can do with their time, it has always seemed undervalued to me. That's a big piece of why I've spent the last 16, 17 years of my writing career uh, writing about the inner journey that the bike takes us on. It's been an effort to help validate the importance we place cycling in our lives. So for once, someone else captured its value. And for that, I'm grateful. They even gave you numbers. Yeah, they quantified it. Uh, Given how well forestry work scored, I'd be very interested to see this survey done again with mountain biking and gravel riding being broken out from road cycling. Uh, This story got me to thinking about how happy I am road riding versus mountain biking. Uh, Not something I've really given a lot of specific thought to, which makes me happier. But I have to admit, these days, mountain biking brings me more happy. Uh, 
I can't say if that was always the case, um, but it is currently. I, I know I'm josing to get back on the trails, and uh, there's been so much rain that the parks are actually closed. Um, hmm. Yeah. So I'm missing that little piece of happy from my life. What about you, John? I, I mean, do you, do you think about what piece of cycling brings you the most happy? Um, I haven't thought about it. I mean, I think it's easy to say that I'm doing way more trail riding gravel bike, uh, or mountain bike in the last few years. That's easy. Um, part of that, it just was my natural gravitation toward it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Part of it was going along with friends who are also moving in that direction. Um, I don't know. There's an aspect of road riding. I mean, there's the obvious stress of dealing with cars and their, their, the vulnerability they uh, make you feel. Uh I'm trying to be generous to drivers. You know, I don't think there's ill will, but, uh, uh, a car is an enormous object and if it's moving unpredictably that's stress inducing mm-hmm. so um so there's that piece but then there's also the piece where road riding lets you or forces you maybe to think a lot more about what's happening with your body mhm You know, you're maybe trying to maintain a certain pace that you feel good about. And you're just always aware of what's happening with your legs, legs and your heart when you're on the road bike. Whereas the other forms that are off road uh, occupy you with bike handling and uh, nature, just looking, you know, there's more to look at, better things to look at. And so I just think you're thinking less about these like raw physiological uh inputs Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i don't know i really enjoyed road riding when i was doing it all the time so i don't want to denigrate it and i think i'll be back to it at some point because that's how the cycle goes Mm -hmm. no Mm -hmm. pun but um yeah right now i'm all about the woods yeah it's it's very very similar for me and i'll i'll go as far as to admit uh, rather embarrassingly, I mean, there was a point in time where I was so deep in road riding, I would kind of denigrate mountain biking as like not really getting it. I mean, that's, I think it's natural. That's more like a, I think that's a defensive maneuver more than it is anything. You know, you want to justify what you're doing. Like this is obviously the best (laughs) because I've chosen it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm in the best part of cycling. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. Which was a, a really silly thing. Uh, you know, road riding is wonderful. Uh, I miss doing it in France. I'll say that for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think uh, it's horses for courses. There are certain places, um, uh, Western Wales, I would love to ride a road bike. Uh, there's no cars out there, very few cars out there. And uh-huh. there's a lot of like twisting, crazy pavement through beautiful areas. Um that's true. I mean, if you watch the Badlands race video that will be up when people are listening to this, it'll be up tomorrow, which is Friday. You'll see some of the paved sections on that are unbelievable. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I it, it is always horses for courses. What is the best bicycle to um, address the terrain 
uh, that you're in. So yeah. I don't want to ride my road bike through traffic very much ever again. Uh-huh. 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 Yeah. Yeah. But but I will ride my road bike in beautiful places for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe in a in a a future episode, like in the next two or three, we will talk about the vacation locations we are currently fantasizing about. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm I'm trying to make a decision about next summer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I were talking about this just last night as we um, were watching a thing set in the Canadian, uh, the Western Canadian wilderness. Oof. Wow. Yeah. 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 Alrighty. Well, let's move on to Paceline Picks. What's yours for this week? So, having queued up a discussion about cycling books earlier, <laughs> I'm going to started. Yeah, I'm going to pick a particular entry in the cycle cycling the bike lit canon. I don't know what you would call it. Bike lit? Yeah, sure. Uh that I think almost no one has read uh and that is Jean Babet's Tomorrow We Ride. Uh Jean Babet was the brother of Tour de France winner Louison Babet. Uh, my apologies to all our French speakers. We're busy going, Bobet, Bobet, Bobet. Yeah, Bobet, Bobet. I don't know. Anyway, uh, Louison was the best, uh, the first person to win three consecutive tours. Um, he was one of the all time greats, and his brother Jean was, you know, a domestique mm-hmm. in that cause. Mm-hmm. Um, Jean, it seems, was a real thinker. Um, he spoke good English, uh, and he fostered relationships with English riders that led actually to more of them crossing the channel to compete on the continent. Hmm. Um, Tomorrow We Ride, the book, is a series of vignettes from the pro peloton of the post-war era. And his writing uh, has that keen eye for detail and a warm charm to it. Uh, and that all of that makes it a real page turner. You can tell he loved his brother and he loved to race his bike. And he also loved his fellow competitors and the Peloton they all worked inside of. Mm. Um, so if there is a book to rekindle, to kindle, I should say, or rekindle your interest in pro cycling history, this might be it. You've spoken of this book uh, to me before and written about it before. And uh, maybe by May, I will finally visit this one. (laughs) Yeah, it's really good. It's a lot of times you get biographies from the stars in in pro racing that are ghost written or highly curated to produce a certain result. Sure. Um, you know, to re recast an image or burnish an image or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. This book being written by someone who's not a star, uh, but who was there because it's what he loved to do. I think it just makes it a more charming and insightful book. Yeah, I, I think there is much to be said for accounts uh, by the the also rans or the the you know the in the wings uh types i think they do a much better job overall of putting things in perspective uh when you're on top of the mountain it's hard to say just how 
high the mountain is, but when you're at base camp looking up at the peak and you're already out of breath, you can say, holy wow. Uh, one of the things I used to say about my own group rides was that, you know, I didn't need to be the first guy to the top of the climb. I just wanted to be with my friends when that attack went. Mm. If I was there to watch the final attack, I was actually pretty satisfied. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of a corollary to what these accounts are uh, by the people who were not who were not the stars. Also, I think necessarily they they are more interesting accounts because they are coming directly from thoughtful people. Uh, yes. You read uh, an interview with Mark Cavendish and, you know, the depth is like kiddie pool. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to denigrate anyone, but. Um, I've interviewed George, Hin- George Hincapi and it was the most boring conversation of my entire life. He spoke in cliches. Yeah, we gave 110%. Uh, yeah. um, well, you know, and it's probably not fair to ask people to be, uh, absolutely at the peak of one profession and also certainly certainly proficient it another one or a, a completely different, you know, this is why I think this book is so good because mm-hmm. Jean Bobet, uh, if I don't know, uh, he is that kind of thoughtful and that kind of articulate as well as having been a great writer unto himself, even if not an all time legend. I'm in, I'm fully yeah. in at this point. Cause that's yeah. precisely what I love is, you know, the, the thoughtful person, who understands just how hard that pursuit is. Right. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, I, I would say it's the nonfiction analog to Tim Crabbe's The, the Rider, mm-hmm. which is, I think, by general consensus, thought to be the best book about cycling ever written. Pretty, yeah, pretty, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. I, I've lost count of how many times I've read it, and I just flipping adore that book. Right. I've also tried to channel him unsuccessfully on more than one occasion, and I won't point <laughs> anybody to those failures. <laughs> Moving right along. Uh, yeah. Last week, with the way we've been getting rain, like I said, we're getting water, not so much rain. I realized that I needed to either get comfortable with riding in the rain again or get fat. Mm. Fatter than I am. Uh, for a couple of days of rain, I don't pull out fenders, but after eight days of nearly daily rain, well, I went into my garage and I got out some SKS fenders that I've probably done a pick on for this show some years in the past. Everyone who lives in the Pacific Northwest can stop shaking their heads at me, okay? Uh, I've lived and ridden in a number of different areas and almost nowhere I've lived did I know anyone who kept a bike set up with fenders on a year round basis, which means that if they own fenders, they had to put them on and pull them off whenever they needed, which is a total pain. Um, So my pick this week, therefore, is one of SKS Germany's nearly 60 different models of fenders. Yes, they make 50 some, uh, I think it's like 57 different flavors of fenders for bicycles. Uh, I've chosen the race blade pro XL fenders. 
Um, these are plastic. They're listed as being compatible with tires from 25 millimeters wide up to 32 millimeters wide. But I'm here to tell you that I'm running them on a gravel bike with 38 millimeter tires and only occasionally get a rub after hitting a bump. <clears throat> I've chosen these as opposed to any of the other 50 plus models because they are so stupidly easy to mount. Uh, both the front and rear fenders have only two mounting points on the fork blades and on the chain stays. And they use what are essentially rubber bands that wrap around the fork blades or seat stays to secure them. They have a few different adjustment points. So the angle and distance from the tire can be dialed to perfection. I will add, be careful with those 2.5 millimeter bolt heads though, because they can be stripped. Uh, one of my fenders is maybe not quite as adjustable as it used to be. Mm. Uh, I'll add that these fenders are long enough, 565 millimeters front and 732 millimeters rear, uh, that a bit of care must be exercised in positioning the fenders for the first time. Last weekend, I went out for two hours on some dirt roads and paths near me. I started getting dressed during a lull in the rain, but by the time I got rolling, it was sprinkling again. And by the time I got to the dirt, it was a full downpour. The next hour and 45 minutes went just like that. A steady downpour. Um, I'll say that my shoes did not get especially wet. They certainly weren't dry, but I didn't pour water out of them when I got home, which is a, a net plus, you know? Yeah. Yeah. A win. Uh, what really matters to me, though, when I'm riding in the wet is my butt. I want my butt dry. I don't want to wear a wet diaper. And in that, the SKS Race Blade Pro XL, say that three times fast, worked masterfully. Uh, I'll also mention that the rear fender is long enough that anyone, uh, toy boat, uh, that anyone, uh, I really, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I'm out of words, folks. I can't speak anymore today. Uh, anyone riding behind someone who has a set of these on their bike won't end up with a face full of sand or spray. Uh, and that's really one of the other serious measures of a fender is like, are you able to be kind to the person behind you? Do these fenders honor, honor the golden rule uh, yeah. or the social contract? And honestly, you can pretty well divide all fenders into, well, my butt is dry and, oh, sorry about that, dude. Uh, or, um, oh, yeah, everybody's fighting for my wheel because they don't have a face full of water and sand. Right. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> These goes for these go for $74.99 and are awfully easy to find uh, if your bike shop doesn't already have them in stock. And based on what I see in bike shops, these do seem to be the model that they stock most often. Though I would mm. also add, most often it's not the XL, it's just the standard, which is uh, certainly good for 23 millimeter tires. I think they do okay with 25s, but nothing bigger than that for sure. Mm. And it's a good idea if the uh, if the person buying them, I think, can fit the XLs into their uh, frame. If they can fit those, that's the way to go. It just gives yeah. you a lot more flexibility. There will be a link in our show notes. Very good. Yeah. Very good. I, I can I can 
even as you were talking, I was thinking about rides I've been on where I was chewing sand, having drafted the wrong person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it It is certainly something I give more thought to now. But, you know, finding a finding a fender that can uh, work with a 38 or 40 millimeter t- wide tire, not easy. Uh, no. I mean, there's certainly tires, out, uh, fenders out there wide enough, but they're in most cases made for like a mountain bike frame or something that has right. more clearance between the tubes. Right. So it's a, it's a delicate balancing act. Um, and I am very grateful for these. Yes. <clears throat> and it looked from the forecast. It looks like you will continue to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have a lot of opportunity to be grateful for these. <laughs> uh, hopefully we're capturing this water. Oh my gosh. Hopefully, hopefully, uh, cause we're going to need it come July. Uh, alrighty. That's a wrap on another episode of the pace line. Uh, I have, I have more rain coming. What do you have coming this weekend? Uh, hopefully some riding. Uh, we are snowless. Uh, we're having a real oh. shutout on the snow front. Um, which just we means, have all the water. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Uh, it'll come around. Uh, so I'm going to be riding bikes. Uh, I've also registered for an event in, um, April. Mm -hmm. So I've got work to do. Uh, it's January still, so I won't be doing too much work, (laughs) but you know, small deposits. There you go. Uh, all right. This is where we ask you to subscribe. If you haven't already, go ahead. Click that button, like even now. Uh, Also, if you haven't already, check out our other podcasts. Revolting, which lives up to its name in some ways, but is highly entertaining. And Enter the Deuce, which isn't much to do with bikes, but digs deep into the trials of being a parent in the most challenging circumstances possible. I am pleased to note that the final episode, uh, uh, number 15 that is, uh, of Enter the Deuce went live just this morning. Also, we have a new show coming called The Long Way Home. Uh, it, will fe- <clears throat> it will feature written work read by the author, uh, but it's more audible than fresh air since it's just one voice. Maybe consider leaving us a review wherever it is you found us. Uh, it makes us more likely that other people will listen in. Uh, also, constructive criticism is accepted. And apparently we can't do much about the criticism that isn't constructive. No. Uh, Alrighty. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Emlin, Robot Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line. <laughs>